fighting for freedom every day. Broadcasting from the heartland of America, the next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. The middle of the week. It is a Wednesday today. I had to correct myself a few minutes ago. It was the middle of the week Thursday, but don't get ahead of myself. We see the light almost at the end of the tunnel, the pre-pre-Friday, the post-post-Monday, greatest day of the week list. Carpe diem all over this place. What do you say? Welcome into it. It is so wonderful to have you with us. Andy Hoosier broadcasting out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, multiple TV, live streaming, podcasting sites, however you watch or listen Welcome aboard your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. I am going to start off, and I know that this story is going to be very triggering for half of the audience at least, and Mrs. Voice of Reason may have something to say about this when I get home tonight as well. But nonetheless, (laughs) I know she's going to disagree with me on this, but by golly, I stand firm on it. Now remember, I am the man of the house. I make the home decisions. I make the decisions. I decide what goes on inside that household as long as she allows me to do so. But I'm going to stand firm on this one. Latest study, according to the Daily Mail and the research out of the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champagne, the Daily Mail reports that men really do have better sense of direction when driving than women do. Oh, 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 oh. oh yes. Yeah. I know she's going to disagree with me on this one, but I don't care. Yes, men have a better sense of direction. Now, they say, according to the study, they say that we have better sense of direction because that boys are more encouraged to play outside more than girls when they're younger, allowing them to be exposed to the outside surroundings and enhancing their navigational abilities. I don't know what... Running around in your front yard as a child has to do with having navigable abilities, unless you have the ability to like run around outside in the woods, which I did as a kid. I had my parents, we had about an 80 acre field out in Ohio. We had the woods, we had the field, we had a river running back there about a mile deep uh, that was uh, back in the woods. And I spent most of my summers outside. And I would say, I would have to say that I have a pretty darn good sense of direction. Even if it's a challenging for the first time, if I know where I'm going one time, then I can figure it out thereafter. Or if you go somewhere, you kind of have that muscle memory or that photographic memory to be able to get your way back when it's all said and done. I think that I have a pretty good sense of that. Mrs. Voice of Reason may disagree with me on that, but there it is. The official numbers are in as the study from the University of Illinois shows that men have better sense of direction than women. Women, I'll expect your angry emails at me at HoosierMediaNetwork at gmail.com. And you can <laughs> can send those to me and tell me how wrong that I actually am on that case. That, that's all I got to say about that. Welcome in. So now, now, if you're driving home from work, then you know how to get home better than the female species. Unless you identify as. I guess if you identify as a female, then maybe you lose that sense of direction as well. <laughs> Not quite sure. Welcome into the show. we got a lot to talk about today. Bottom of this hour, Kurt Couchman. He is the Senior Fellow of Fiscal Policy for Americans for Prosperity, our great partners with us here on the show. We'll chat with him as the budget conversation continues. As you know, Phase 1 of the continuing resolution ends on Friday this week. What does that mean for the budget conversation? We have that. Uh, phase 2 ends beginning of February. And will we actually see a federal budget in place? Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House, along with uh, Chuck Schumer with the Senate uh, the Senate side on the Democrats, have tentatively agreed upon that $1.6, $1.7 trillion budget. 
And what does that actually entail? What the details are within there? And will the Republicans actually support it with a handful of Republicans on the House side saying that it goes too far, we're not cutting enough spending, and they're holding it up, which means that as of right now, the House does not have enough votes on that bill if it were voted on, at least the last that I've heard. So we'll get the latest on that situation coming up in just a little bit. I do, however, want to focus on right out of the gate on the campaign just for a moment, and not the Republican side of it, but the Democrat side of the elections for 2024. What's trending today? I always tell you, there are two things that you need in politics to be successful. I say this all the time, and for those that actually want to run for office, whether it's a local race or a federal race, then you should take these words to heart. There are two things that you need in politics to run to be a successful campaigner, and that is lots of money and a good PR team. You have to have lots of money to get that message out, and you have to have a strong message to actually know what you're going to say. And if you have a strong PR team, or at least a strong agenda, then you can campaign on it. And obviously the Democrats don't have the strongest of agendas because Joe Biden came out in day one and said Donald Trump's a fascist, tyrannical dictator and an authoritarian, which is what the media said now for the last, for the last week and a half. But that's his campaign, not what we've done, what we're going to do, what we plan to do, what we've done in the past. None of that. But they're trying. They're trying really hard. And in fact, now they have one of the great spokespersons for the Democrat Party out on the campaign trail as well, doing the media rounds on The View earlier today, doing media hits with different uh, media sites, talking about the great agenda and the great accomplishments of the Biden administration and the Democrat Party. And I'm not talking about... Karine Jean-Pierre, the spokesperson for the White House. No, 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 they have their very own campaigner out there talking about the great messaging for the Democrat Party. So we've delivered, but the responsibility we're getting across. Well, that's why I'm out here. We have a responsibility to communicate. We've done really good work. Our challenge will be to let people know who brought it to them. Well, as long as they bring it to us, then we must be in good shape, right? Well done. Well done, Kamala Harris. I don't know what she was trying to get at there, uh, but we let them know who brung it to him. Is she trying to pander to the crowd? Because, I mean, I guess you can do that as well, like Hillary Clinton back I in the day. I don't feel no ways tired. Yeah. I, <laughs> is that the Clinton or is that the, the Kamala Harris? I know that she tries to play off as an African-American, which she's not. She's Jamaican and she's Indian from India. But she tries to play off as part of the African-American community because she has darker skin and Democrats who play the identity politics are really bad at understanding what those identities actually are. So she tries to play that off. But if that's the messaging, hey, I'm going to be out there to be the spokesperson for the Biden administration and I'm going to bring it to the people about what we actually do of that great agenda. So we've delivered, but... The responsibility we're getting across. Well, that's why I'm out here. We have a responsibility to communicate. We've done really good work. Our challenge will be to let people know who brought it to them. I think we have a problem with the communication skills. Let's go back to remedial English again, and let's talk about communicating 101. Kamala Harris, the great VP of the United States, that great communicating of what the agenda was and who brought it to us. I'm so glad that the, the bringeth has begun from the Biden administration. She was also on, by the way, The View. And again, I understand wanting to do the fear tactics. That's what Biden's whole agenda is, is the very, if you want to look at it in that sense, the very low vibration, the fear, the paranoia, the panic, the, the phobia, the anger, the hatred, the uh, just the division in this nation, which is what this campaign's built upon. I understand that. But when you openly go on to a national TV or media platform and you talk about how scared you are 
does that really work? And does that really work so early off in the election? I said this when Joe Biden spoke a few weeks ago at Valley Forge where he had talked about all this. And I said, where do you go from here? If that's your message now, where do you go on the campaign trail for the next 10 months? Because the next 10 months you have to come up with something new. That type of passionate emotion is fatiguing. It's exhausting. It doesn't quite work. So unless you're part of the fringe Democrats that are so angry, they wake up in the, in the morning and they say, what can I be angry at in the world today? Unless you're part of that group, being angry and hearing such negative rhetoric constantly is exhausting. It's fatiguing. It's like listening to my music. And for those that know me, I listen to a very unique form of music, I guess you could say, about the hardest metal that you could possibly listen to. The double bass, the growling, screaming, can't understand a word. Yeah, that's the music I enjoy. But when you listen to that for long periods of time, it's fatiguing. You get exhausted. You get mentally and emotionally just exhausted from it. It helps at a time whether to process negative emotions, whether to pump you up and get you excited, whether you're working out, whatever you do. But after about a half hour, 45 minutes of it, you're like, okay, I get it. And you have to change it up to something else. It's exhausting. Politics is the same way. Emotions are the same way. It's good to get hyped up. We have the Conservative Political Action Conference coming up here soon in February. I believe it's going to be in Washington, D.C. again this year. And it's good to go and refill those tanks to hear the powerful messaging of candidates, powerful messaging of politicians, giving you that hoorah speech to feel good about yourself, to feel good about the country, to feel good about the way of the world and the positivity And that is a long-standing emotion. You can ride that high for a very long time. Feeling in the depths of just anger, hatred, and violence forever doesn't quite work. But that's what they're going for. Not just Joe Biden, but Kamala on The View earlier today. Because some heavy-hitting Democrats are sounding the alarm behind closed doors. Uh, President Obama reportedly has said that he thinks the Biden campaign is too complacent when it comes to Trump. Uh, Representative Jim Clyburn has said the campaign isn't breaking through the MAGA wall. Um, Michelle Obama says she's terrified, as we are. Uh, about the potential outcome of the election. Now, are, are you scared, first of all, what could happen if Trump ever became, God forbid, president again? And what are you going to do to stop the crazies? I am scared as heck. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I'm traveling our country. You know, there's an old saying that there are only two ways to run mm. for office, either without an opponent or scared. So on all of those points, yes, we should all be scared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as we know, and certainly this is a a table of very powerful women, we don't run away from something when we're scared. We fight back against it. Mm -hmm. That's right. I I don't know what to make of something like that. No, I've never heard. Have you ever heard of that? People that have been in politics for a long time, have you ever heard that message? There's two ways to run for office, either unopposed or because you're terrified or scared. Is that what you do? I thought that you ran for office because you loved your country and you wanted to serve. I didn't know that you were just so terrified about the other side doing something. You can't let them have power, so you have to take power yourself. I didn't realize that was one of the curriculum for you to be a politician and run for office in this nation. I thought it was because you loved your country and you wanted to serve and try to do the best you could to do the best of your ability. And to bring what you could to the table with the values and with the history or with the record or with the interests or with the specialties that you have as a human being. I thought that's why you ran for office. I didn't know that it was because you were scared and terrified. And she's scared as heck that Donald Trump could be in office again. This entire rhetoric that they have right now, Donald Trump calling him an authoritarian, the media threatening that he would kill his opponents if he gets in office again, 
the vice president of the United States saying she is terrified to have him in office again. A former president saying that they are terrified to have him in office again. What type of setting, what type of tone does that create in this world when you say, I can't allow this in any means necessary, I will make sure that doesn't happen. Isn't that a scary thought? Isn't that a scary mindset of just whatever ends justify the means, therefore we have to stop Donald Trump from being in office? Whether it's abusing the legal system, whether it's Antifa rising up again and quote-unquote bash fast trying to hit the individuals with red hats because the non-fascist thing to do is to physically and violently silence anybody that you politically disagree with on the other side. Uh, (laughs) Is that what we're coming to again? Because that's the direction that they're going while they're blaming us for the violence and crime and rhetoric in the world right now for being so divisive and being so authoritarian. That's what they're doing. And I know you already know this, but I want you to take that mindset for a second to a little bit different with someone like Donald Trump when he gave his accepted speech after the win on Iowa. And I know that he gets obviously a little bit negative talking about how bad the Democrats are. Both sides do it. I'm not picking on one side of the aisle over another, but they're kind of escalating things a little bit further than what we should be as opposed to like Donald Trump who came out and, and talked about how we need to unite as a party. Let's unite as a nation. I want to bring everybody together. I don't want to be just, again, a Republican uh, candidate, uh, a Republican president. I want to bring everybody together. Republicans, lay down your swords. Let's stop beating each other up. Let's find a way to come together here. I obviously am going to be the candidate because of the momentum I have. And everybody, let's stop the bickering and the madness. Let's come together and find the unity. Between those two messages, what would the average voter kind of lean towards? Is the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. 24 minutes past the hour. The difference in messaging. If you didn't know who said what and you just heard two phrases, one of them saying my opponent will be an authoritarian, a dictator. They will eliminate anybody who they disagree with. They will destroy this entire place and I'm standing for democracy. Or the other candidate when you're like, oh, wow, that's pretty wild. All right, let's see what the other candidate's actually saying here to make sure like, you know, that's legit because I wouldn't just listen to one source. I would listen to both sides and come up with my opinion on my own. <laughs> I know that, that that entails in cognitive thinking. But, man, if you listen to both sides and just you don't know who's saying what, you're just hearing that rhetoric. My opponent would do this and they would destroy everything and they would kill their opponents and they would destroy everything and they become a totalitarian dictator. Wow. What are they saying? What are they actually doing? Because, man, if that's the case, then, man, people that are supporting them are nuts, right? So then you go to the other side, and he's like, I want everybody to come together, and let's lay down the swords, and let's stop bickering amongst one another, and let's actually unify, and let's actually have conversation, and let's do this. And you're like, huh, I, I, I'm not quite connecting the dots on these two here. What's, what's really going on? Because this don't make no sense. These things don't make any sense. But the other side... We're all going to die because of you! It's kind of wild. I'm telling you, leadership is looking a little bit different as we move forward into 2024, and I think that's going to relay itself into the elections at the end of the year as well, but leadership will definitely look just a bit different compared to what it has. The old guard, the deep state, the establishment, even if there is going to be one of those, say that in air quotes, however you like to define big government authoritarianism in some way, it's going to look just a little bit different. But I think 
I'm the eternal optimist here. The glass is always half full. I think that we're going to see a decrease in some of that control. Maybe just a little bit. Maybe that's where we want it to be. But over this next year, over this session, and the election, obviously, at the end of the year, I think we're going to see things move in the right direction, just because I'm the eternal optimist. And because we're seeing a movement globally, not just in the United States right now, globally, with different people standing up to this stuff. We have right now Donald Trump that's running, whether you like Donald Trump or not, but we have Republicans that are really speaking out against quote-unquote, the deep state. Vivek, who ended up endorsing Trump, uh, was big time, just calling out the deep state, wanting to dismantle that. We have this guy down in Argentina as well, this new president, Javier Milley, that spoke at the World Economic Forum just recently as well, talking about the threats of socialism and Western countries like us, Western societies, that are under attack right now. Today, I'm here to tell you that the Western world is in danger. And it is endangered because those who are supposed to have to defend the values of the West are co-opted by a vision of the world that inexorably leads to socialism and thereby to poverty. Unfortunately, in recent decades, motivated by some well-meaning individuals willing to help others and others motivated by the wish to belong to a privileged caste, the main leaders of the Western world have abandoned the model of freedom for different versions of what we call collectivism. We're here to tell you that collectivist experiments are never the solution to the problems that afflict the citizens of the world. Rather, they are the root cause. Do believe me, no one better place than us Argentines to testify to these two points. I mean, that's pretty solid right there. That audio, by the way, from Town Hall News, that's uh, when you got someone down in South America calling out socials. What I know, he's kind of an odd duck out uh, anyways, but he's an interesting one. And he understands what socialism's done by being in that region of the world that he's actually in calling out socialism on a global scale. We have fighters. We have people that are finally beginning to stand up and say enough is enough, whatever policy issue that may be. Heck, even on the Irish sense, and I know this is more of a comical sense, but Conor McGregor, the uh, UFC fighter, looking at running for president of Ireland uh, because of specifically immigration policy where he sees that nation being destroyed and people being harmed, Irish citizens being destroyed from illegal immigrants coming into the country. That's And finally just saying enough is enough. People standing up saying enough is enough. Elon Musk calling out Disney. Others just saying we're not going to deal with the crap anymore. You're not going to control us any longer. I'm optimistic. I love it. Americans for Prosperity coming up right around the corner with us here. Stay here on The Voice of Reason. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. You know what I absolutely love? I love watching these leaders on our side of the aisle. This uh, President Milley from Argentina when President Trump was in office. Some of these other guys when they go, uh, what's his name from, not Boris Johnson, but uh, the other guy from the UK. When they would go to these global meetings, the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, some of these big ones, and they would go out there and just rip big government, just rip the deep state, rip all these centralized power mindsets, this United Nations mindset, this control over society and humanity and socialism. I, it's hilarious to watch when they just go off on these because they don't know what to do. They're speaking directly to them. 
They're speaking directly to the organization about how bad those organizations are when it comes to centralized power, and it's fun to watch for sure. So I'm telling you, we are in a new stage of leadership in this nation and in the world, really. We're seeing a new movement of people just saying we've had enough. And I told you, we started off the year with three major events that I think set the tone for the year. Like towards the end of last year, early part of this year, when we had Elon Musk give the middle finger to Disney, essentially, at that meeting, saying, I'm not going to take your advertising. I don't want it. And, you know, go do your own thing. Then we had the flight attendant that was just not going to deal with the person trying to bully them about the transgender thing and using the proper pronoun, saying, do you want me to get your flight or not? Then shut up and let me do my job. And we've had some other incidences where we're just like, yeah, we're not. We're tired. We're fatigued. We're over it. We're just frustrated. We're done, baby. We're not going to take it any longer. I feel like we're in a song now. We're not going to take it. Right? Twisted Sisters, baby. Let's get into what's trending. What's trending today? So we have a major deadline coming up over the next couple days and a couple weeks. Coming up on Friday is the deadline of phase number one for the continuing resolution on our federal budget. Phase number two ends beginning of February. We have a proposed $1.6-ish trillion federal budget that was uh, tentatively agreed on from Speaker of the House Mike Johnson and the Democrat leader in the Senate Chuck Schumer. Republicans, however, on the House side, at least some Republicans, say that there's not enough spending cuts on this one and threaten to vote against it. So I don't know that they have the votes on this one, but it is going to be interesting to see how we rally the troops and make something happen. I'm still curious on where Republicans are at just standing ground and saying we're going to cut spending we have to cut spending we're no longer looking over the cliff but we're now the wily coyote that's already falling in midair with our head and a sign holding up saying help me on the cliff we have to do something drastic when it comes to our fiscal state here in the nation what do we do and how do we move forward with all this and more excited to have back on the program now, part of our great partners with Americans for Prosperity is our great partners with us here on the Voice of Reasons weekday program and our syndicated show on the weekend as well. He's the Senior Fellow for Fiscal Policy from Americans for Prosperity, Mr. Kurt Couchman, back with us here. Kurt, Happy New Year, my friend. How are you? Hey, Andy. Great to be back. I'm, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Oh, we are living the dream. I, I'm so excited about this year. I don't think I've been... I'm always the, the optimistic guy, but I, I don't know that I've seen so much enthusiasm going into a new year. It's going to be a wild ride but I'm optimistic about the, rex- the the direction we're going this year, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm a perpetual optimist as well. Um, but the conversation has shifted in the right direction. I mean, part of it is just because of the huge mistakes that Washington, D.C. has made over the last couple of years. Too much spending, too much regulation, too much taxes, too much debt. And uh, the American people don't want that. They're seeing how it's impacting their lives, pushing up interest rates, inflation. Uh, it's slowing economic growth at this point. And so we do need to have a new direction, and uh, I'm optimistic that we're going to get better policymakers and that we're also building out better policies, better ways of doing things in, in Washington so that Congress can actually del- deliver better results for the people. Wouldn't that be nice? I know you guys released a survey recently that showed that the vast majority of Americans that you surveyed showed that economic issues and Bidenomics, the Biden inflation, was the number one top priority for them going into election season early on here. We saw inflation anywhere between 17 to 20 percent over the past three years under Joe Biden, which is astronomical. I don't know about you, but I have not seen a 20 percent raise in my salary in three years to compensate for that. So uh, they try to tell us that Bidenomics is working and the economy is doing great. But I don't know how you can pitch that off when the average consumer goes to the store and sees the astronomical prices for groceries or other goods and their money doesn't go as far as it used to. 
That's right. The Bidenomics spin isn't working. They seem to have caught on. They're not talking about it very much anymore, um, because when people think of the economy and they think of Joe Biden's handling of the economy, they don't see a whole lot of success to point to. Yes, things have gotten less bad uh, since you know, they were a couple of years ago when inflation was at its peak. Um, but just because things are less bad doesn't mean that they're good. Uh, and like I was saying, we've got we've got this drag on the economy from the debt burden and from all these new regulations that have come out of this administration uh, and or could come out of this administration. There's a whole bunch of things that people are worried that might be cooking in those agencies. And so it's hard to invest if you're a business person because you don't know what could be thrown at you that will just make all of that investment go for nothing. Yeah, I want to I want to see that as a campaign slogan. Things are slightly less bad than what they were when I took off. Office. I, I want to see that as a campaign tactic on that. Let's talk about this bill for the federal budget, because now we are going into the end of phase one. First off, it was an interesting tactic that we used a two phase uh, continuing resolution. Mike Johnson kind of throwing people off guard. And I liked that. I liked the fact that he kept them on their toes and did this because it didn't allow the government to do a complete shutdown and do this whole we need to pass a continuing resolution or pass an omnibus bill so we don't shut down the government and pass it to see what's in it mindset. It kind of threw them off guard to say, hey, it's the warning trigger for us to really get our act in gear here and get some stuff done. Uh, however, this new bill, this $1.6 trillion federal budget, does it have enough cuts, do you think, Kurt? And is this going to be enough to rally Republicans to, to vote on this and approve it? Uh, no, of course, this $1.7 trillion spending bill doesn't have enough spending cuts. And uh, a lot of Republicans aren't going to be able to support uh, whatever ultimately comes out, there's a continuing resolution to kick these deadlines to, I think, March 1st and March 8th. Um, so that'll give them additional time to write the two mega spending bills instead of the one omnibus bill. But look, I mean, $1.7 trillion is a lot of money. But the truth is, it's only about a quarter of federal spending, and none of the revenue policies are in that. And our tax code is a mess. It's an anti-growth mess. Uh, there's a whole bunch of cronyism in there that doesn't belong. Um, but all of that uh, that other spending and all of the nonsense in the tax code, Congress doesn't look at that on a regular basis. Yeah. And a lot of the fiscal hawks are saying, hey, we need to reduce the deficit, reduce the debt, reduce spending. But they're only playing with a little piece of the budget. So it's no wonder that they're frustrated and that the outcomes that we're getting from the federal budget process, such as it is, are actually really bad and getting worse. Yeah, it is concerning. My listeners, we talk a lot about this. My listeners are very up to key on the fact that there are two portions of the budget which we don't hear about in the mainstream media with discretionary funding, which is what this bill is really about, and the mandatory spending that is the social programs, the Medicare and Medicaid, the Social Security, the the SNAP programs, all the other social programs that make up near 70 to 80 percent now of the entire federal budget, while we haggle about this 20 percent with all the discretionary spending on military, which blows my mind, and defense, which should be part of, I don't know, mandatory spending for the government, which is their constitutional duty to fund. But nonetheless, we're haggling over 15 to 20 percent of the entire federal budget when the rest of it's just bankrupting us. When will or do you think we had the capability of sitting down and addressing this larger piece of the pie? I think soon uh, there was a bill that was introduced just last week called the Comprehensive Congressional Budget Act of 2024. It was introduced by a Republican from Utah, Representative Blake Moore, and a Democrat from Washington State, uh, Representative Marie Guzencamp-Perez. And, um, you know, the idea there is that, you know, Congress should keep doing the appropriations bills, the so-called discretionary spending. Um, that's really important to do on an annual basis, review all that and adjust things. 
Um, but in addition to that, all of the other committees that have uh, jurisdiction over spending programs that are uh, not appropriations programs, they should be contributing, uh, and the, the revenue committee should be contributing to build an annual budget that has everything in it, all spending, all revenue, including all the tax preferences, and then Congress can actually coordinate things, figure out what's adding value, and manage the whole thing, uh, and also take responsibility for the outcomes. Yeah. I wish we could. I, we need to do that. We're talking with Kurt Couchman. He's a senior fellow uh, fiscal policy for Americans for Prosperity, americansforprosperity.org. You can also sign up and become a member as well with prosperityispossible.com and get some of the information going into election season as well. Let's talk about the politics behind this and how this is going to play out because Democrats, even at this time of financial ruins that we're getting close to in this nation, they still refuse to cut anything. In fact, when we were passing the appropriations bills before the holidays, we got like eight of them done, I think, that had some substantial cuts into them. The Democrats are like, yeah, these are dead on arrival in the Senate. They're not going to happen. And the president already threatened to veto those bills. At what point do they see enough is enough and they draw that line in the sand? Or will they ever see that line? Because, well, we'll just print some more money. And if inflation goes up, then it's a Republican's fault. Well, part of the reason that we have those dynamics is because uh, we do have this partial budgeting process, the appropriations bills, that really aren't going to get passed unless they're very tightly controlled, they stick to the deal, and that means that most members are cut out of being able to shape them in any way. So what, with the comprehensive budget, every member of all the committees would have a chance to try to build coalitions around their priorities, see if their colleagues agree with them. Um, and then it doesn't have to be so top-down, and things can bubble up. It'd be more bottom-up of, of, of an experience. Uh, and so that has the potential to really change the way that these things work. Um, I worked for a bipartisan fiscal watchdog uh, in, the previous, in my previous job, and I got to know a bunch of Democratic members and staff, and obviously I know tons of Republicans too. Um, and there's a lot of them that want to do something about this situation, but they don't really know how, and they don't really want to buck their leadership when everything is so tightly leadership controlled. Um, so with a different system, we can unleash a lot of possibility by changing the incentives and the nature of how Congress budgets. Yeah, that makes sense. The Democrats do really run in kind of a top-down fashion. They should use their own words is what Joe Biden says with the bottom, uh, bottom up and the middle out, right? Maybe they should use that policy for the way they've run their leadership within their own party and <laughs> the agenda that they have as well. we got to take a break here, Kurt. Hang on the line. When we come back, I want to talk about moving this forward. Also, I know it hasn't been in the conversation for a while, but the Government Shutdown Prevention Act that Senator James Lankford from Ohio proposed a while back, or from Oklahoma, that proposed a while back, is that getting any traction so we don't have to worry about these fights any longer? We'll do that when we come back here. It's all coming up for a Wednesday on The Voice of Reason. Lots more. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. Last few minutes here of the program. Oh, how it flies by so fast. So wonderful to have you along for the ride on a midweek celebration. Carpe dianisms all over the place. That's what we do here on the show. I, uh, I have a book in my library at home at the Hoosier Media Studios. And there was there, it's a book. That was written about do as I say, not as I do. Really what the Democrats live like, what the progressives live like. Do as I say, not as I do. We need to be telling you what to do to save the world, but we're not going to live by those own rules either because the rules are for 
you, not for me kind of mindset. And I just kind of laugh because the campaign, while they talk about this top down or this bottom up and middle out economic policy, I use that in air quotes for our radio listeners, uh, of the Joe Biden policy that, that's really stupid, their leadership is definitely a top-down mindset. They get their marching orders from the DNC or from Barack Obama or whoever it may be, and the media runs with it, and the Democrat candidates run with it, and the politicians run with it, and they all have their same rhetoric. You don't hear anything different. It's like a talking point on the Tweety, which I, which is why I hate social media and the Twitter, because you can't get any substance. It's just a bumper sticker argument, but that's what they do. And it's kind of unfortunate. We're hanging out with uh, Kurt Couchman. He is the Senior Fellow of Fiscal Policy for Americans for Prosperity. Great partners with us here on the show. Prosperityispossible.com. You can go and sign up for their newsletter. You can be part of the movement, the largest grassroots organization in the entire nation. Kurt, let's talk about the Government Shutdown Prevention Act from Senator James Lankford. I know we talked about it a while back, but is that gaining any traction again as well? Because... Just like now, we're already hearing the tweets about, we need another continuing resolution. We need an omnibus package so that way we don't shut down the government and kill people in the streets. Yeah, I mean, there is increasing interest in it. Uh, the Senate had a pretty strong bipartisan vote um, a couple of months ago as, as an amendment to the minibus. It needed 60 votes to pass just because of Senate rules, um, but uh, it got a solid majority of Republicans and Democrats, and that was with the Senate Appropriations Chair whipping pretty hard against it. Uh, in the House, um, that legislation has been introduced. It has a bunch of bipartisan uh, support. Um, and uh, there's another bill. Uh, Senator Tim Kaine and Representative Don Byer, both Democrats from Virginia, have a conceptually similar bill that has a bunch of progressives on it, in fact, in the House. Um, and so there's a broad coalition for it. And I think the reason that so many members are interested in it is the same reason that we're getting so much interest in the comprehensive budget bill. And that is because members are sick of not mattering from a policymaking perspective. They're not able to represent their constituents. And both of these fixes, well, individually and certainly even more so together, uh, would empower them to be able to take the concerns that they're hearing from the people they represent to Washington and say, hey, I think we should do this. What do you guys think? Let's work through it, see if we can find some accommodation. And they're not able to do that right now. And that's a real tragedy for representative democracy. Yeah, it really is. Uh, with this Comprehensive Congressional Budget Act, if we do something like this and we're actually able to start having at least conversation about other parts of the budget that we're right now not even allowed to talk about, could we see some major reforms in individual programs or consolidation of certain programs? Because right now, when we talk about, hey, you know what, maybe we should just slow the growth of Social Security uh, spending or Medicare spending, for example, instead of letting uh, growing by 6%, we're going to grow up by 2% to save some money. And now we all of a sudden we get blamed that we're going to be cutting it by 4% and people are going to die in the streets because we don't have enough money in this program. I think the number one thing that needs to start happening here is getting rid of some of this crazy amount of rhetoric within these conversations. Oh, absolutely. And the beautiful thing about having everything in a budget every year is you don't have to make big once-in-a-generation shifts. <laughs> you can just keep Social Security solvent for another year or two. And if you keep doing that every year, eventually you fix it without having to impose major changes on people and all the changes affect people that can adapt to it, people that are rich, people that are young and have time. Um, that sort of thing. You can consolidate programs. We've got 160 housing programs. We've got all these healthcare programs, and there's a lot of duplication and overlap. Plus, there's a bunch of things the federal government just shouldn't be doing at all. 
uh, <laughs> it'd be good to go through those and say, well, this adds value, this doesn't, so let's make sure that we're resourcing the things that are important for the federal government to do. We really do have those things. Uh, and then not do the things that either no government should be doing or maybe the state government should be doing instead. Um, but those are the conversations that you want to empower. You want to have members kind of saying, hey, this is the thing that I care about. Let's work through it. Yeah. Uh, and there just isn't enough of that right now, but all is. Yeah, what a concept. Actually planning out long-term instead of doing drastic changes, then people not liking the shock and awe factor that we see when they do drastic policy, and then they get mad at the politician. We could actually plan in advance and look long-term. What a wild concept in today's world. It's Kurt Couchman, Senior Fellow policy, uh, Fiscal Policy with Americans for Prosperity. Kurt, Happy New Year to you, my friend. I'm so glad that we're able to have this conversation. Let's get you back on and do another update here real soon. Sounds great. Thank you, Andy. Hey, always a pleasure. There it is. Great stuff. Again, I'm optimistic about going into this year. Maybe we can start having the conversation. We need to have at least the conversation, then we can start acting upon it. Until then, we're back at it again tomorrow for a Thursday. Be your own voice of reason. We'll see you on the radio.